Great. Can, now, can you hear me? Is that all right? Can I just say that if you don't hear me or I, my, my voice starts going out down, just put your hand up and I will um, speak up. Okay. Um, again, thank you so much. It's been really lovely. I had a lovely time this morning meeting a number of, number of people here and um, I'm looking forward to this bit now. So um, Charlotte asked me, well, we discussed it together, to talk on true friendship. And normally in these kind of events, you start with funny stories. Um, and I have got a few up my sleeve. But as I was thinking about speaking to you, I just thought the world at the moment is a really challenging place. And so funny stories are fine. And we probably hopefully will have a few depth through along the way. But actually this world at the moment is a very scary place. And I wanted just to share with you um, a video um, clip that I saw at the weekend. It was basically some Ukrainian Christians in a shelter and they were videoing themselves where they, they, it was pretty dark, the lighting wasn't good, they looked tired, they were probably hungry, massively threatened. You just, you know, I looked at them and thought, I wonder, you know, have you lost your home? Have you lost somebody you love? And the interesting thing is that what they were doing is they weren't just talking about themselves. In fact, they didn't talk about themselves at all. What they were doing was reading the Bible, mainly from the book of Psalms. That's a book of songs to God. And mainly they were quoting sections that were talking about God being their refuge and strength. Now I suppose it's quite easy, isn't it, to think that for them, that the Bible is some kind of psychological crutch, that that's all it is, and good for them, if that's what gives them the, the oomph to keep going, why not? But I want to put it to all of us tonight, that actually this old book, this old book here, is not um, just a psychological crutch, but rather it is, it, this book enables us to know God, the living God, and that as they were reading this book, the Bible, what God was doing to them was he was reaching into their innermost being, the place that is unseen, the secret place that makes you, 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 me, me, and them, them. And they were hearing God speak and he was giving them strength in their, in their most being. And it was giving and helping them to have a perspective on the situation, the terrible situation that they're in. And it's not just for the Ukrainian Christians, it's for all Christians, whatever situation, whether we're happy, we're sad, whether we're in a tragic circumstances, whether it's dangerous, the most precious thing in all the world is to know that God can speak to you and you can hear him and that through that you can know and have the most precious friendship in the world, a friendship with the God of the universe. And there's no doubt about it that when that happens, it changes, having a relationship with God changes our perspective on things. But I think 
<laughs> that it's quite easy when we're thinking about friendship to not make any reference to God at all. In fact, I think most of the times we don't think about friendship in that way at all. We just think it's something innate in us and um, it's something that's just there and it's something that we know we need. So I know that when I walk into a room and I don't know anybody there, if there is somebody I do know, I make a beeline for them, don't you? Is that what you do? That's because in, instinctively in us, we know we want to be with somebody we vaguely know. So there's a friendship going on there. I'm sure for some of you as mothers, you have dropped your children off at school and you have been worried because the night before they were crying because nobody had played with them in the playground. I haven't got any friends. It's worrying, isn't it? It's horrible. You don't like leaving your child at school when that's happened. And I'm sure we've all also had the fun of meeting friends, of connecting with people, of, of being able to share a little bit more about yourself with somebody because you like being with them, you, you trust them. And that's what makes it even more devastating, doesn't it? When actually friendships go down the pan. You see, friendships affect our whole lives from being friends with individuals to communities to even nations Friendships matter, and friendships that go pear-shaped can be devastating. I remember a friend of mine once saying that a breakdown in a friendship over the kitchen sink is no different to wars between countries. It's just that the wars in between countries is on a much bigger scale. But what I want to say this evening, though, is that the Bible says that um, it's, friendship isn't something innate. It's, it's not just a desire within us. The Bible says that friendship isn't something that just happens. It's not something that we humans have decided is a good thing. No, the Bible says that our desire for, friend, for friendship is not fundamentally found in us, but in something outside us, to be more precise, in someone outside God himself. The Bible says that God is the author of friendship, and frankly, he knows quite a lot about it. And so to really understand and know what true friendship is, although we can look at human stories, the best place to go is God himself. I was, I was chatting a long time, long time ago, I was chatting to this chap and he was saying, um, I'm really looking for God. And I said, oh, great. I said, you know, where are you looking? And he said, well, in here. And I just said, mate, you're not going to find him in there. You need to go to this place. This is where you find God. And I think he did. It was, it was very encouraging. So, and the wonderful thing is, as we go to God, he hasn't left us in the dark because he sent his son Jesus into the world. And Jesus, as we look at Jesus, we can be sure we're meeting God. But before we go and, and look a little bit more about um, Jesus and uh, what kind of uh, qualities he had in friendships, I just want to chat a little bit about what we think good, uh, what a good mark of friendship is. And I've come across a few things. I hope that they're going to be helpful. Things like, I don't know, what I love with my friends is when they're compassionate towards me, when they're kind, when they come and help. You want somebody to say, oh, Annie, you haven't done that again, have you? <laughs> you just want a friend to be loving towards you and reach in when you're hurting. I think we want friends, don't we, that will stick with us. It's great, isn't it, to not feel alone to have a good friend. 
I too really value, although it's sometimes quite painful, friends that are prepared to tell the truth. Annie, did you really say that? That was unkind, can't you see? Was it? You know? And I'll try not to do it again. It helps, doesn't it? And finally, I think, are friends that actually you can trust? That actually you're not going to gabble about your secrets? Friends that actually will keep their promise? So those are four things, and I think they can be in some ways summed up like this. It's, um, it's a friend is someone who maybe is for us and someone who is with us. So those are some of the qualities that I've come up. But what I want to do now is just to open up and talk a little bit about Jesus, because if those are the kind of qualities that we're looking for. What I'd like to say is, as we look at Jesus, we see these kind of qualities so much more um, deeper. That's bad English, isn't it? You know, I was driving over today in, in my car, and it hasn't it been a grey day? I mean, it's been hideous. It was just, I've got a black car, and it was just grey, black, and then maybe a little bit of white, with a lot of flippy floppy rain on my car. Unbelievable. That is what I'd like to suggest friendship is like without Jesus. Friendship with Jesus is when the colour goes on and it's richer and it's better. We have a relationship with him, but also we have rich relationships with each other. So just now moving on, we've got Jesus maybe, I thought maybe we could start with compassion. And just as an observation with myself and maybe others, I don't know. To be honest, I think I can be compassionate. I hope I can. I was a nurse, so one hopes I can, was. But I've got to be honest and say my compassion doesn't last very long. And my compassion is very much energised by the situation that somebody might be in. And after a while, to be honest, I've almost forgotten. And they can still be in it. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think actually we do it culturally as well. So I think the latest thing with maybe Afghanistan, we were all talking about them, weren't we, a few months ago. Well, actually, I think most of us have forgotten. And now, of course, we're talking about the Ukrainians, rightly so. But I think we're fickle. Um, but I do know we do meet some wonderfully compassionate people. My sister is, if she was standing here, you'd think, oh, she is amazing. And she is, she, you know, don't you? She's very, she has got compassion oozing out of her. But to be honest, I hope she won't mind me saying this, she's 70 and actually she's going to run out of it soon, isn't she? she? She won't be able to do it. So, you know, even the most compassionate person, human being, can't actually keep going forever. But what I want to do now is just talk a little bit about Jesus and actually a time when we see his compassion. And it was a time in the Bible, uh, there was a man and he had leprosy, which is a horrible disease. And in the first century, it meant that they were thrown out of, the of their community because it was highly contagious. It meant that they were, the people who had leprosy were absolutely on their own. They were not able to see their family. They weren't, they weren't allowed to go to the temple, which was the bedrock of society. They were absolutely on their own. It was permanent lockdown for them. But this chap hears that Jesus is healing. He's heard about it, and he's this bloke called Jesus, and he's healing people. So he goes to Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet. And this is what the Bible says. It says the man says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus' response, 
filled with compassion, he stretched out his hand and said, I am willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. See, Jesus, who was, hadn't got leprosy, put his hand out to this man that did and touched him and said, be clean. And he was completely cured. That Jesus can do that because he's God. But what's interesting, isn't it, to see the compassion that drove Jesus. It was compassion. He, it was like he couldn't stop. He had to put his hand out and touch him, which was totally taboo in that time. And of course, I don't know, some of you might remember Princess Diana and when AIDS came out and she touched somebody. It, was, it hit the national headlines. That's the kind of thing that was happening here. But I want to suggest to you this evening that although there was a man with leprosy and Jesus healed him and had compassion for him, that there was something that Jesus' compassion reaches way beyond the man's leprosy and into our lives. You see, just as Jesus could see the man's leprosy, so he can see into all of us. And what he sees is a spiritual barrier, a spiritual leprosy in a way, that blocks us from having a relationship with God. The correct term for spiritual leprosy is sin. And it's why so many things in this world is out of kilter. And it's the reason why f our friendships break down. It's, and it's the reason why lots of things go wrong. And actually, I feel like a doctor breaking bad news at the moment, because it's actually a very serious condition. Um, because it's an attitude that's, that we all have, and it's basically saying, I want to work out how I live in, in this world without reference to the God who made me, even though it actually stands to reason that he knows far better than me how I should live. Because if he's made us, he really does know how we should live. But we have this innate, we have this, this attitude that says, I want to do it my way. And the, in, and the outcome is the mess and muddle that we're in. Ukraine being an obvious example, but it goes right down back into our own houses, doesn't it? And Jesus knows these consequences. He can see them. But he also sees a consequence into the future. And without his intervention, we are heading for a terribly lonely future, a place of permanent lockdown. But with his intervention, he can bring us back into a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus has compassion. He looks at the messy world and he wants to help, but he's looking far further and he's seeing the devastating effect and he knows he can help so he wants to reach in and help but how does he do it just by a hand stepping out for us no well it is a hand actually what Jesus does is later on in his life he goes and he allows his arms to be stretched out nails to be put in his hand and he's prepared to die for us because that's what it takes to sort out our spiritual leprosy. I think that's some kind of compassion, don't you? It really is. It is a, it is a he cannot stop himself. He, he so wants this spiritual leprosy to be removed.
and he's the one that can do it. He's, it's quite a lot of compassion there, isn't it? Way more than we can, we can give. But the beautiful thing is, when we grasp this, when we grasp that Jesus' compassion for us is this, it turns our friendships up, it, it turns our lives upside down, and it enables us to be able to love others in a way that we didn't before. It enables us to reach in and have a sympathy and a kindness and a desire to help others because he first has given it to us. And that transforms relationships. It can transform just the relationships that are around you. Maybe people that are diff- you find tricky. <laughs> you know, you just maybe you begin. You just see them in a slightly different light. But it also goes further. It, it, it often is. Um, it will take us into maybe meeting people that we never thought we would meet. People that we wouldn't have even wanted to meet. It's a very beautiful thing, and that's what friendship with God does. Jesus has shown us real compassion. But what about the second one? Um, With Jesus, it means never being alone. I think that is a big one, isn't it? Being alone. The night before Jesus was arrested, he was telling his disciples that he was going to have to leave them. And they were worried. They were very troubled by this. And they couldn't get their heads around it. But Jesus comforted them by saying that even though he was going away, they would not be alone because he would ask his father who would give them another helper who would be with them forever. The helper is in fact the spirit of Jesus. What Jesus was promising his disciples was that he, was that he would come and be in their innermost being. Yes, he wouldn't be with them physically, but it would be even better because wherever they would be, he would be there too, in them. But what the disciples couldn't grasp that evening was without Jesus going to the cross, the Spirit could never come. And why is that the case? Well, it's this. The only way that God can come and be close to us is if he deals with his anger. Now that's hard. that sounds harsh, doesn't it? I don't think we often think about our poor attitude and actually God's response to it. See, God is terribly hurt that we've said, shove off, we're not interested in how you want us to run our lives. It's really hurt him. And that's what happens in love, isn't it? When you love somebody and they turn away, it's not indifference that you feel, it's anger because you love them. And God is angry. Now, the big difference between God and me is this when I'm angry with somebody I will um, uh, say no 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 I'm fine absolutely fine yes <laughs> and then I walk away and in my head I'm, I'm winning every argument and I'm right or the other one is being sullen don't you think <laughs> don't you think and occasionally, I will, I, will, I will try and be more, a little bit more honest. The wonderful thing about God is he does not act, behave like that. He has to deal with his anger to be true to himself. He has to deal with it. So he's got a problem because actually he's angry with us. But he also wants us to be close to him. So what does he do? He sends a substitute. 
he says, okay, somebody else can take the anger, my anger, and then the others can go free. But that person has to have lived a perfect life. And that's where Jesus comes in, because Jesus did live a perfect life. And so that is what's happening on the cross. You see, it's a little bit like this. If you can imagine, this is me, right? This is, a, um, this is an account of my life. Now, there's some really great things in here I'd like to share with you. <laughs> but there's some absolutely awful things too, right? Things that I, feel re- I genuinely feel embarrassed about, and I'd rather you didn't know, right? But God's seen them, and they're blocking my relationship with God. Jesus comes along. He lives a perfect life. Sorry, I forgot to say the ceiling is God, okay? He lives a perfect life. So God looks down on Jesus and he's, he can be close to him and it's perfect. What Jesus is doing on the cross is he is taking off all my sin, all the rubbish, all the spiritual leprosy onto himself. So as God looks at Jesus, what he sees is my mess. And God says, right, I'm, I'm pouring my anger onto that, onto Jesus. Jesus takes it so that I don't have to. Can you see? I now have a relationship with God. That's what's going on. And because that happens on the cross, it means that God now sees me as, as perfect. He sees me as if I'm Jesus, even though I'm not. That means that his spirit now can come into me. It can only come in once God sees a clean heart. Isn't that beautiful? And that has huge consequences for us because it means for all Christians who have lived all down the centuries, they've had the spirit of Jesus with them wherever they are. Jesus, through his spirit, is their true friend He's with them as they step through the door on their own, maybe having lost their husband. But Jesus is with them. It's, he's, he's with the fraught mum who's got children all around and actually she's feeling lonely even though she's, she's got children but she's just feeling lonely because there's no adult to talk to. Jesus is with her. It means that Jesus is with the patient as she walks into the hospital, having said goodbye to her husband, because at the moment, COVID's not allowing relatives into the hospital. It's a beautiful thing. But even more, Jesus, through his spirit, is with us all that believe in him, right the way up to the point where we die, and he'll take us into eternity. Imagine an ECG, it's blipping along. No, it's not quite right, is it? And only the nurses, I haven't got the PQRST or whatever it is. Okay, just imagine that's our heart. That's our hearts, yeah. Just imagine that. Oh, let me see if I can do this. Um, okay, this is my heart. Yes, that's my heart. Physical heart beating. Yeah. When we become Christians, what happens is a spiritual heart starts to beat. It just tells us that we can relate to God, right? What happens when we die? Physical heart stops, but the spiritual heart keeps going right the way into eternity, completely safe. Death has genuinely lost its sting for the Christian. It's very precious because we're not alone. Jesus is with us and he will not move out. <laughs> once, once The death on the cross means he will not move out. He can't. 
even when we mess up, but that's, we won't go there at the moment, but that's all right. So we've got Jesus, full of compassion, in a way that nobody else can be. We know that Jesus can be our best friend because he'll never leave us, he's in us. Is it really true? Can this really be true? Oh, and I've lost my way now. Where are we? Um, mm, I need to stop everybody and find my place. Sorry. How do we know it's true? How do we know that it's really true, all this? Well, because Jesus is a truth speaker. When Jesus speaks and says, I'm going to do this, he does it. I'm just going to pick one example, but if you are interested, just pick up a gospel. There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all give you the, the life story, of the life, death, and resurrection story of Jesus. And what I'd suggest you do is just pick it up and say, okay, so Jesus, you said this, dot, dot, dot. Did you do it? And have a look and see. And you'll see a lot. He'll just see that he does. So this is one of them. Jesus, in the run-up to him um, being arrested and crucified, he kept on telling his disciples, he said, very soon I am going to be arrested. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. Really? Yes, that's what happened. Jesus was, a, he, Jesus was arrested. He did die. And three days later, he rose again. Are you sure? Yes, there's an awful lot of evidence. Women saw him. His disciples saw him. 500 people saw him in one go. That's not a hallucination. It happened. So if that is true, then it means we can believe everything else. So just to finish, I just want to... Um, uh, say this, that a mark of a real friend is someone who is with us and someone who is for us. Someone who goes the extra mile for us. And Jesus did just that. In Jesus, we find someone who will never reject us. Christianity is saying that the author of friendship, the God of the universe who made the world and is sustaining it today, is such a friend. How do we know? Because he, Jesus, came into the world as a human being. Emmanuel, God with us. And because Jesus died and rose again, God for us. See, to be friends with God is truly the best, friend, best place to enjoy friendships also with others. That's the last bit I want to say. And on your seats, you will find that there's a little card that we'd love you just to take away. It's just got um, the two verses or parts of two verses that I feel sums up friendships. Emmanuel, which you will hear often at Christmas time, won't you? Emmanuel, God with us. God, and then Romans, it says chapter 8, verse 31, saying God is for us. Can I just finish by reading that last, that, that, that paragraph in Romans? I think it might be nice. Is that all right, everyone? Can you manage it? Sorry, you know, I was looking down at that point, so I'm so sorry. I, th I feel now, do you remember Magnus Magnusson? I've started, how did he talk? I can't remember. Anyway, I've started, so I'll finish. Okay. Right, okay. So this is what um, uh, a gentleman called Paul writes about God. What then shall we say in response to these things? Sorry, this is a bit before. If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul goes on to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.